The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad that you could tune in and join me for this really important conversation. We're going to talk about something that really needs some light shed on it. So I'm really glad that we can spend some time and bring some attention to this issue today. Drug abuse and addiction is a huge problem in this country. And if you haven't dealt with this directly with a family member, I guarantee that you know someone who has or a friend or somebody. Just some quick facts on drug addiction and how big this problem is. Every day, more than 130 people in the United States die after overdosing on opioids. And this is just the tip of the iceberg with the opioid problem, not even covering in any other issues. Drug abuse and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion annually in lost workplace productivity, healthcare expenses, and crime-related costs. And personally, I've seen drug abuse and alcoholism ruin people's relationships, their careers, and tear apart families. But there is hope for recovery. And today we're going to explore that uh, with my guest, someone in the trenches, helping people to turn their lives around. Anushka DiGiorgio is the director of Edinburgh House Sober Living and founder of the Kintsugi Foundation. And she's been working in the recovery field for over seven years She founded the Edinburgh House Sober Living Facility for Women in L.A. in 2012. And you can find her online at kintsugifoundation.org, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. And Anushka, I'm really glad you could join me today for the show. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Diane. It's really great to be here. And uh, thank you for addressing such an important subject. It's so important. And like I've said, like I said, I've personally been touched by this. I've seen the devastation that alcohol, alcoholism and addiction, drug addiction can cause, careers that I've seen ruined and just derailed. But I've also seen some hope. I mean, I've seen people that have recovered and have been able to get their lives on track. And you're right in the trenches dealing with this. And I spent some time, I just, I wanted to say, it's kind of funny just how we met. Um, I was in LA for um, another event on uh, appearing with Dr. Ellen on her show. And you were just kind of walking down the street and we just exchanged cards really quickly. And uh, Dr. Aaron, I'm sorry, I called her Dr. Ellen. Dr. Aaron said, oh, that just happens in LA. You just meet people. But I was so happy to make that connection, even though it was so brief. And I started to do a little bit of research and dig into what you're doing. And the work that you're doing is so important and so needed right now. So it was just great to have that chance that chance connection, just kind of a, in the middle of the day. So I was hoping that you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your involvement, your story, and the Kintsugi Foundation. And, you know, I didn't know what Kintsugi meant. You know, I thought, what's going on with this foundation? What does it mean? Or what does it have to do with recovery? And the story is really beautiful. I was hoping you could share that with the listeners, what Kintsugi means. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, You know, kintsugi is the ancient Japanese art of repairing broken crockery uh, and pottery with liquid gold or silver uh, with the understanding that the piece 
will be more beautiful because it's been broken. So obviously that's an analogy that I've found to be quite fitting for the uh, women that I work with who have struggled so much, not only with their problems in addiction, dual diagnosis, but also with the stigma that's attached to people who suffer with substance abuse and mental health problems. So I really found that to be a beautiful analogy, uh, giving them hope and reassurance to the fact that we all have problems and uh, sometimes it's in our ability to overcome those problems that we become more beautiful and more useful and, and helpful to society. Right. It's like the, the cracks let the light come in. I've heard that too, and I forget where, but, but I like the, I like the analogy that, that you're making with that. You know, sometimes we have to go through these things to emerge, you know, stronger and more beautiful on the other end. And what was your story and how you got involved in this kind of work? Well, you know, I've been sober myself uh, for 16 years and I noticed on my journey through recovery that it was like layers of the onion that were being peeled away. And at a certain point, about halfway through my current recovery, I realized that there were very few places that women could go that were women only where they really had a safe place to address not only the substance abuse, but the underlying issues uh, whether they be uh, PTSD from events that have happened to them where they've been victimized or uh, bad family relationships, difficult childhoods. Um, so I wanted to create a, a space, a residential space for women to come where they felt totally safe and they felt safe enough that they could bring their wounds to the light so that, and we could walk alongside them on that journey and give them the tools not only to recover from substance abuse, but also to become useful members of society. And in fact, to change the trajectory of their lives forever. And for many women who have come through our doors, they are the first people in their families, in their family history, that have ever begun to address these issues. And so the effect that that will have is, you know, it's kind of incredible that from that point on, when you embark on this journey and we make a decision to bring our wounds to the light and, to ex and have the willingness to accept help and take direction, that then we can change not only our own experience, but the experience of our parents, the experience of our children, the experience of our, ch of our friends, of the people who we work with, and the ripples go out. And really that for me was, was so crucial. And I was watching your videos on the Kintsugi Foundation website and spent some time there and it really struck me that you're very passionate about this work and you really care. And also, I wanted to ask you about it wasn't and you wanted to make a point. It wasn't just recovering from the physical addiction addiction of the drugs and alcohol or whatever people are dealing with, but also managing people's feelings and navigating relationships. And, and just what you were talking about, kind of peeling back the onion of the root of what's really going on and given giving women back their grace and their dignity 
as they're going through this process. So it's really about you're, you're teaching people how to really feel things, right? Sometimes for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, our experience of uh, recovery from substance abuse is that uh, people's emotional development is arrested at the time that they started to abuse substances. And, and, and often those substances can be food or, um, you know, other, other kinds of substances. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, mind-altering substances. So at the time that that, that abuse starts to happen, there's, an, uh, there's uh, a, a sense of, of arresting the emotional development. So you're absolutely right, Diane, when you say that people sometimes start to, they sort of emerge from this cocoon that has been, in fact, the thing that, that saved them for a time, and it was their survival skill to, to drink, to use drugs, to use food, to use uh, relationships, to hide from feelings that they had no tools to process. And as they emerge, it's a very frightening thing. You know, when you, for a, a person experiencing normal emotional development, as we go through our prepubescence and our teenage years, we are learning through difficult experiences that feelings have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And after repeated experiences of that, there's a sense of reassurance that even though we are in pain, that feeling does have an end and does not last forever. So for people suffering with substance abuse, they are often experiencing those difficult feelings for the first time. And there's an overwhelming sense that they're not sure if they're ever going to end. And that's why it's so important that they be in a place like this when that starts to happen. Because when they become vulnerable, that's the time that they're susceptible to a relapse. And I wanted to ask you about the relapse um, kind of the percentage or, or the rate, if someone doesn't go to sober living, I mean, I guess their relapse, the chances of that are much higher. They, they must skyrocket. So it really is important to have sober living facilities available, isn't it? I think it, it's, I think it's very helpful. Um, if you get through the first year and maintain sobriety, your chances are very much increased as to the, you know, the, your ability to, to cope with things. Because during your first year, you probably will have dealt with some of the things that we have to deal with in life, whether that's financial insecurity, uh, relationships with family, romantic relationships, financial issues. These are the things that trigger people. So once, you know, and a lot of, a lot of women that we see coming through here were never taught the fundamental skills. They did not have particularly good role models. Uh, for relationships or for problem solving. They were not taught basic financial literacy. So, you know, the things that we go through sometimes, you know, we have, we have trauma groups at the, at the foundation uh, led by Scott Ford, who has a, you know, a very good reputation in this business and has been doing this for many, many years. But we also deal with practical tools because it's embarrassing for somebody to say that they don't know how to write a resume and they don't know how to create a budget and they don't know how much they spend or how much they earn. So this is a place where, you know, I, I put it out there with the girls that it's okay. Nobody knows how to do this when they've had these kind of, you know, situations and these kind of problems. And it's okay. We're all going to learn this and we're all going to do it together. 
And there's a great safety in, and that's why we do things in a group setting. You know, people are not getting one-on-one therapy, um, although they do seek outside help for that. But we're all going through this together because there's a sense that if, if we can become vulnerable in front of a trusted group of people, um, that will help others to feel safe enough to share and also give us the confidence to be vulnerable in other areas and to reach further. And what I thought was interesting when I started doing some research and kind of, you know, clicking around online is that there really is a business of recovery and it's a big business that I wasn't really aware of. And I started looking at some of these residential rehab facilities costing thirty to $40,000 a month and up. I mean, just the numbers were really astounding to me. I didn't realize that that was how much the people are paying just for rehab. And mm-hmm. where sober living fits in, so how does how does that fit into that that equation? Because sober living cannot be uh, claimed on insurance or anything like that. Is that right? That is right. Um, at, at the current time, sober living is not has not been a, a business that's been around long enough to be regulated to the degree where it's compensated by insurance companies. So what we see a lot of and, and what very few people in, of the general public are aware of is that there are many sober livings that claim that they accept insurance. And this has become a really treacherous minefield for the uh, potential client of a sober living because that is a time, if you're looking for a sober living for yourself, or for a loved one, you're at one of your most vulnerable times where you fear for the safety of, of whoever it is in question for their very life. And unfortunately, this has become a big business. And uh, a lot of companies have decided to find loopholes in the insurance system and come up with arrangements with whether it's detoxes, IOPs, or, or, or treatment centers whereby uh, they create fraudulent claims based on, uh, based on made-up diagnosis so that they can uh, claim enough money to then keep the client after their residential treatment claim has expired, keep them in IOP, and also have sufficient to pay out the sober living so they don't lose the client. Now, you know, on, on paper, many people seemed to think that there was no great harm in, in this kind of process. And, and it's understandable that to a person seeking sober living, that could seem like a good deal. You get a free bed or you know, a, a very cheap bed in a nice location, you get fed, and you get to go to IOP and your, your family feels relieved. But the truth is, the way that I run my business, is that the truth comes first. It's a, it's a business based in integrity. Because if I have no integrity, how can I demonstrate to the women who come through here to live their lives with integrity? That's on a fundamental level. But when you take it to the next level, which is if the business model re- relies on people relapsing and coming back into the system repeatedly, then we're not coming from the right place. We're invested in people remaining sick. 
And that is a very big problem. And it's a problem that causes people to actually lose their lives because the primary purpose of many of these places is not to help people recover, but to help their business keep people in that system. Wow, that is so dangerous. And just setting the stage, you know, like you said, for people's failure, not for people's success. And also the fact that there's probably not, I mean, if there's no insurance or anything like that, there's no regulation. So these places can really operate how, however they want, pretty much, right? There's no rules that they have to follow. There's no standards that they have to uphold for some, for some of these sober living houses. You know, there, there are various bodies who, that you can become a, a member of, you know, um, in order to gain some kind of uh, some kind of not not regulation, but more a stamp of approval. But unfortunately, even those bodies have become difficult to regulate. Um, so, I mean, that is, in fact, one of the main reasons that I decided to start the Kintsugi Foundation. My experience has been that very few people are really willing to do what's necessary to recover until they've lost everything or close to everything. And of course, once we've lost everything, the resources aren't there to get the help that we need. So that was my, my reason for transitioning and and including the Kintsugi Foundation in what I do because I really feel like to be at the at the end with no hope and uh, at a stage of desperation where are these people going to go where are the women with dual diagnosis with um you know with substance abuse problems newly sober who is going to take them we already have a huge homeless problem in Los Angeles and throughout the United States. Um, we have a huge mental health problem. And my hope is that for, for some of the few people who are able to come here, we can interrupt that cycle. And as long as they're willing and they adhere to the regulations that we have here, this can be a safe and loving and kind place where uh, it's operated on a sliding scale and they can pay what they can and receive the same kind of treatment that people with, uh, with money can. Right. And unfortunately, like you said, people have to hit some kind of bottom. I mean, usually that's where great change will take place when there's some kind of, you know, major change, you've lost everything. I mean, unfortunately, it it comes to that a lot of times, not for everybody. I mean, some people can maybe find their way before they totally hit rock bottom. But generally, that's what happens, right? Like they they lose everything. And then when you are that far down, if you're facing homelessness, you've got no car, you've got no address, it's easy for people to look at look at you and say, well, you know, clean yourself up and get a job. But but that's just not a reality. That's not really the case. Mm -hmm you know, you really, you really need some help. And also I wanted to point out the fact that Edinburgh House is a, a woman only, women only living facility. And I think there's a lot of challenges that are unique, definitely to women in recovery. I mean, there's, there's motherhood, you know, if you're dealing with child care issues, um, you know, abuse issues, those kinds of things. 
I mean, do you see the, you know, the shame and the blame and the guilt um, attached to addiction is a lot stronger with women than men? I do. Um, I, th- I think rather than, than it being greater, I think it's a different kind of stigma. You know, I think for, uh, for many of the women who've come through the Edinburgh House uh, who have lost custody of their children due to their substance abuse, there is a huge shame and stigma and often from the, you know, from the, the other parents of that unit, there's a lack of understanding and a lack of compassion and a huge amount of judgment that's very difficult to overcome. Uh, thankfully, all the women who have come through here who had lost custody of their children have regained custody of their children. And now, and, and you know, that's something that I go through with them. Um, not only through the feelings attached to that, but things like going to court, you know, going and sitting in family court. That's a very difficult and lonely experience if you feel alone. And really, uh, a lot of early sobriety is just about us walking beside one another and letting the other one know that, you know, we're, we're not alone. You're not alone. And there is hope and uh, and there is a possibility for change. So I, I think that the stigma for men, you know, can still be very much present, but in a different way because society regards men as people who have to uh, maintain a standard of earning um, and and present uh, as a strong person, with, you know, uh, and not and not given to weakness or be too emotional. So I think they have different challenges. But, you know, as a woman myself and as a mother and a daughter, my interest is really in, uh, in trying to help women through this kind of thing. Right. And even though historically, you know, men have been more likely to develop a substance abuse disorder, you know, just what I've been reading, the gap is really closing on this, where more and more women... Um, you know, maybe due to the fact that, you know, they're suffering from chronic pain or maybe they're overprescribed prescription painkillers, more and more women are finding themselves in, in that position or a position of, of addiction. So, yeah, I, I think you're right that it's, it's definitely some, uh, some different issues that women are facing uh, with men, you know, but, but equally important. And then I'm hoping in the second segment that we'll get a call from someone who's been through uh, Edinburgh House and, and been through her own uh, story of, of ups and downs. Uh, Amy Dressner, I was reading about her and I'm interested to talk with her. <laughs> so I hope, yes, actually, uh, I hope that she calls you know, I actually, in. I got a message. I got a message from e- Amy and she's actually unable to call in because something else came up for her. But I, I do oh, have no. a girl who's who's been through the house, who's going to call, call in. Um, so uh, Monique Jones is going to call in a little bit later. And I think uh, we're going to be talking with Lindsay, the director of communications uh, here at the Kintsugi Foundation too. Oh, perfect. Okay. That'll be just uh, in the second segment in, in just a minute or two. Well, I'm glad I mentioned that because mm-hmm. I was looking up Amy and uh, maybe I can talk with her at another time. I, I ordered her book because it sounded so fascinating and um, and, and since I mentioned it, you know, that she won't be calling in, but her name is Amy Dressner, and her book looks um, really unbelievable. It's called, um, what is it called? I wrote it down. Oh, My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. She's the author of that and uh, definitely has her story to share. So if you want to check that out, 
go to Amazon. But we'll be talking with a uh, participant of Edinburgh House in just a few minutes. So I'm glad you could set that up for me, Anushka. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. to have her call in. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit too. um, You know, you had mentioned some other problems that sometimes are not addressed, you know, mental health issues, uh, depression, trauma. Um, I mean, all those things are kind of brought into the fold when there's an addiction issue. And you try to, you try to handle that as best you can at Edinburgh House? I mean, do you, you must have support, you know, with doctors and people coming in. We do. And, um, you know, we work with various doctors, whether they are um, psychiatrists, psychopharmacologists, uh, or MFT therapists, um, really based on the needs of the client coming in. And, of course, when they come in, uh, there's an evaluation process to establish what help they really do need and if we can provide that. Because I think half the battle is making sure that you don't take everybody just because they arrive at your door, this, that it has to be a good fit. Um, and, and one of the things that's definitely top of the list is, you know, do you have any dual diagnosis, any mental health issues? What are those diagnoses? What medications are you on now? Uh, what medications have you been on? And then for them to get evaluated by one of our trusted referred um, psychiatrists or psychopharmacologists so that we, we can really get a sense of uh, getting a baseline that we can work from. Because based on different degrees and severity of mental health problems, they, they may be ready for or not ready for different situations like group settings and communal living. So, you know, my goal is always to remember that First of all, the safety of the group comes first, the safety of the house. Is this person going to be a good addition into our team, our family? And then right. Well, hold that, hold that thought, Anushka. We're just going to take a yes. short break, about three minutes. Okay. We'll be right back and bring on some of our other guests talking about this very important issue and letting you know about Edinburgh Sober Living. We'll be right back on Unity on. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world, welcoming the LGBTQ community today and every day. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, We invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. I know in those times in my life where... The changes have been hard and difficult and painful. That one of the things that has helped me to deal with them is to realize, oh my gosh, this is not just ultimately for my own growth and my own benefit, but it's going to help me in some way to be a benefit of other people. And so very important to this idea of true new beginnings 
is that it usually begins not with something that we've changed out here and have said we want this to be the new beginning, but we're beginning to feel something moving or healing or changing inside of ourselves. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Unity teaches that all people are created with sacred worth and that no one exists outside the heart of God. The Unity message is free from discrimination, and we believe that love is the strongest power that exists no matter who you choose to love. Always, and especially during this month of Pride, Unity stands with our LGBTQ family as we honor the strength of diversity in our spiritual community. If you'd like more information, visit unity.org LGBTQ. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Get inspired with Temple Hayes and the Intentional Spirit, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Each week, Temple shares tools and practices to help you thrive in the most challenging times. Temple also welcomes fascinating guests who share their stories and struggles on the spiritual path. Follow Temple on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date with the show. Become an Intentional Spirit with Temple Hayes here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming Back with me after the break here and checking into the conversation, I've been talking to Anushka DiGiorgio about her work with the Edinburgh House Sober Living and also the Kintsugi Foundation. Uh, Anushka is the director of Edinburgh House and the founder of the Kintsugi Foundation and doing some incredible work in the field of recovery and particularly uh, working with women in recovery uh, through her sober house there, Edinburgh House. And I want to welcome to the show right now, Lindsay Glass. And she's the director of communications at the Kintsugi Foundation. She co-founded and served as chairman of the board of Reach Out Recovery. And this is a nonprofit that uses media to help inform and educate people about addiction recovery. And the Reach Out Recovery website has had over 6 million visitors since 2016 and has a weekly community in the tens of thousands. So definitely check that out online. And Lindsay has served as a recovery advocate who has helped change and reform laws about mental health and addiction recovery. And Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. (laughs) Now, how long have you been with the Kintsugi Foundation? Um, I just joined on uh, recently in the, in the last few months as we've uh, sort of formally launched. Um, so it's only really been active the last few months. And right now we're sort of gearing up uh, to really get things kicked off over the next few months. And, you know, uh, from, a, from the nonprofit foundation angle, you know, we have some big work to do in the raising money uh, area, 
but and awareness, but um, it's really coming together very quickly, and we're getting a lot of support both from the community um, and from other advocates. So it's it's looking good for us. And in your experience, what do you think is the biggest problem that we have in messaging? You know, as the director of communications for the foundation. What do you think people aren't hearing some of the real issues that are happening in, in addiction recovery? Oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> it's a lot, I I'm sure. That, yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, I think one of the big things, and and I was listening in before, so I heard it mentioned, but there's a lot of stigma around um, addiction recovery and, and mental health issues. So number one, um, what we're really trying to do is get this a bit more in the mainstream so that people understand this isn't something that just happens to somebody or, you know, you see the crazy guy on the street or every family is touched by this. Every single American family is touched by addiction and mental health in some capacity. And we really need to normalize treatment and recovery so that everyone feels comfortable talking about it and opening up um, so that it doesn't feel like this dirty secret uh, that a family has. So I, I think stigma is a really big one. I think the other thing, and, and I, I heard you ladies touch on it, but it's absolutely critical to understand, and, and this was my experience, which is why I understand it, so often in the, in the treatment model we've had, there's this belief that you go away for 30 days and you get sober and you're fixed. And that is absolutely not how it works. And my personal experience was, you know, I got sober as a young person and then realized I was lacking in a lot of very important skills. So, you know, I come from a great family, media family, and I was educated. And suddenly I found myself in my 20s and I really did not know how to work how to keep a job, how to handle finances. And that's where, you know, I believe that the programming of Kintsugi is so important. We're not just helping women to get sober. Um, you know, that's, that's the foundation. That's step one. But what we really want to help them do is be contributing members of society. Because if you're sober but you can't hold a job, um, you're not going far. And right. So the aftercare is so critical. Yeah. I mean, once you're actually physically, you know, trying to, to get off the drugs and get off the addiction, uh, it, it's like you said, just kind of getting through day to day life can be really difficult. And you don't have if you don't have those skills to cope, then your failure rate is going to be pretty high. Exactly. I mean, imagine going out into the world after, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of a certain kind of lifestyle. And suddenly you're confronted with the ups and downs of day-to-day life, and you have absolutely no coping skills for that. Um, So that's where all of these life skills, and we're talking about everything from meditation to financial literacy, um, because we we want people to know what to do. We want these women to go back out into life and and, uh, be good mothers and be good employees and pay their taxes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, you have to throw that in there, too. Um, So I had a question about the way things are portrayed and kind of the the optics, you know, what what young people and what women see. Do you think that for young people and especially women that the idea of drugs and alcohol, is this still glamorous? Is it 
do you think that the portrayal of of that you know is like is, is exciting to to people young people especially to women I'm afraid yeah I'm afraid so I I do see even in TV shows even in the movies I see it getting better and I see a attention to recovery and addiction recovery in I you, we are starting to see it in mainstream media um, but I do absolutely think that there is an element to that lifestyle that is still seen as cool. I still think it's glamorized in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I have to say, when, when we started, when I started doing this, you know, more than a decade ago, things were, it was worse. You know, the covers of the magazines, it was just Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears, and it really was just gruesome the way the media really like hung on to these ugly stories. And I do think people like Demi Lovato have made a huge impact. Um, And there are a lot of stars now that are talking openly about their sobriety. And I think that that is very, very, very helpful. So the more we can get people that are in the public eye to be open about this and, and talk about how they've recovered from their struggles, the better it's going to get. But yes, I think that young women today are still very tempted. Um, and there's still a lot out there that is coming across in advertising that is, you know, it's dangerous. Right. Like I see a lot of these reality shows, you know, the real housewives and, um, it's a couple of the others like Jersey Shore, you know, things like that, where the, the whole partying lifestyle and everything is really glamorized. And, you know, you're young and impressionable, you're going to think that's cool. And and maybe oh, head down absolutely. that path. Absolutely. Maybe those weren't good examples. <laughs> no, but I, I know what you're saying. You know, when I was yeah. growing up, like, absolutely, Courtney Love was like a role model. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, you, you think that's yeah. cool. So yeah. we have a sober living, or not really sober living, but a recovery show uh, here on Unity Online Radio Network on Tuesdays called Spirit of Recovery. So I follow a lot of sober living and recovery groups and things on Instagram, and I've seen the positive ways that social media can help and support people in active addiction. And I wanted to ask you, being that you're in, in communications, you know, what are the ways that you think that social media can improve on how it serves the recovery community? Because this is something relatively new, you know, in our consciousness, like within the the past 20 years. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a medium that is used for great good and great evil, in my opinion. Um, So what I think that uh, it's a big question, because obviously, personal accounts, people are going to be able to do whatever they want. I think as far as organizations go and, um, you know, people that represent um, anything from a a, a news channel to a TV show to a studio, I really think there is a responsibility to clean up your content. And I do think there is a responsibility on the part of the companies that run these, uh, that allow this to be looking at the content more. Um, And that is very slow going. Um, so I think, you know, the one thing I can say is there are a lot of incredible groups and forums that you can find on all kinds of social, on Facebook. I mean, there is a huge recovery community on Instagram. 
And as somebody who understands a little bit about media, I like to think what I would recommend is for anybody in recovery or or trying to live that lifestyle, really what you want to do is go to the accounts that are positive and uplifting where people are going to support you and stay away from the accounts that are going to promote things that are going to make you uncomfortable or that are going to trigger you. And I think that's something that, um, you know, Anushka has talked about and, and certainly I've, I've talked about with some of the people I work with, you know, when there are things out there that are not good for you to look at, don't look at them. Because we can't control a lot of things just yet. And it is a little bit like the Wild West out there in social media. So, you know, I think as, um, as somebody who's just going to be on it, there has to be a little bit of common sense about what's appropriate to look at and what's not. And as a business owner, um, you have to think about what message you want to be sending out to the world. Right. That's so true. And definitely the good and the bad. Like I can see where, like now there's so, so much shaming, you know, taking place on social media. I mean, you can have videos taken of yourself, you know, you're out drunk partying with your friends, all of a sudden it's all over the place. You could lose your job. You know, those factors weren't in play back before social media. So then there's that, you know, kind of the glamorization, but then I've also seen the good, like you said, um, I had a friend who was posting, she was really in trouble, a suicide attempt and people were actually able to get to her by recognizing that she was posting this weird stuff online. And I kind of watched all this unfold as people were saying, Oh, did you go over and and help her? What happened? And so she was really able to be, uh, you know, have her, have her life saved actually from a suicide attempt through people seeing what was going on and paying attention to social media. So it's just an, it's an interesting factor that, you know, wasn't around years ago that is definitely in our lives and here to stay now. So I think you're right with in policing and making sure that you're watching things or interacting with things that, that aren't going to be a trigger. So it's just, it's an interesting new kind of wrinkle in, in our lives, but I wanted to bring on someone who, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, did you want to comment Anushka? Well, I was just, I was just going to finish it off with one thing. And um, it's, it's at the Kintsugi Foundation, we really teach people to self-regulate because we want them to be able to learn and be able to trust their judgment and, and know who to call when they need help. And I, I think you nailed it with those two examples. Um, we want people to stay away from places where they're going to be shamed, and we want them to reach out to the right communities when they're in need of help. So that was it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that was Lindsay, not Anushka. <laughs> I'm, I'm juggling three juggling three people. I want to make sure everybody uh, gets a, a chance to speak. So I want to bring on Monique and someone to share her story and her experience uh, with recovery. And Monique is currently Anushka's sponsor. Or no, Anushka is Sponsee. her sponsor. Is that right, Monique? <laughs> yes. Anushka is my sponsor. Yes. Okay. So I'm so glad you could come <laughs> so, on and share your story. And yeah, tell me a little bit about how, how you met Anushka. How did you two come, come in contact? Yeah. Um, we met during, you know, going to meetings and exchanging numbers that way uh, through her, the Edinburgh house. Um, she'll have meditations and uh, she has a Thursday night um, AA meeting and she'll invite, you know, whomever to come and enjoy, not just, you don't just have to be uh, at the Edinburgh house. You can, outside 
community is invited per, you know, through her. And uh, it's it's private, you know, but if she meets you and loves you, you're welcome to her house. So I was invited to meditation, and she knew through a text something was wrong, you know, something was up, and I she, she just asked me what was going on. I asked if this, there was a certain guy that was going to be there. And he had triggered me, and I didn't even know I was triggered. It was crazy, and because of her trauma experience, um, uh, personal experience, and just through uh, working with people for as long as she has, she could tell I was in uh, PTSD at the time, and she just said, come over, let's talk. I get emotional. Wow, so you get emotional? <laughs> I'll bet. I mean, it's it, got to be emotional. life-changing, Yeah. So were you in active uh, addiction at, at the time that you met Anushka or had, uh, I was were you kind of struggling with recovery? I was in recovery. I was sober, uh, maybe about five months sober when, uh, when I was just p- triggered PTSD. It was, it was through uh, trauma, not from alcohol, but uh, anyway, I, I was not using, but I was emotionally triggered and I didn't know what was going on, and I was very confused, and I could have ended up drinking. Who knows? But luckily, right. she just picked up on it and said, come over, let's talk, and, and we did, and unpacked. I mean, just even being able to name, <laughs> putting, saying, you're, going, you're in PTSD right now, this is what's happening, and, you know, just chain, was a game changer. And then we, uh, we got closer. I started going to Thursday night meetings. I got rid of the sponsor that had triggered me, which I had a male sponsor at the time, which is not recommended <laughs> in AA, but I, you know, to each his own. Um, anyway, I ended up uh, going to meetings at Edinburgh House and being welcomed in uh, and, and then asked her to sponsor me. And she, of course, said yes. And she the next year and a half, I may as well have lived at the Edinburgh House. <laughs> wow. It sounds like she was just a lifesaver at the right time. At the right time. But that's who she is, you know, and there's a, she never says no. She, I just watched her help so many people, and she's taught me how to do the same. I have three but sponsors now. You're such the I'm perfect example, though, of of what we were talking about earlier in, in the, the first segment where, I mean, five months, that's not a long time to really be in, in your recovery. I mean, you're very vulnerable at that point, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of people relapse yeah. within the first, the first year and yeah. at, at five months, you know, you're at a very emotional time, but did, did you experience what we were talking about where, you know, you're numb for so long and then now these feelings and everything are coming oh up. Gosh. Like you, you were triggered with the exactly. PTSD I mean, were there other things that came up at that point, too, that you were able to deal with? I mean, everything came up. I got sober at 43. So imagine how many how many things I've suppressed and pushed down and then just, I mean, everything just flooded to the surface and it was like being a kid all over again. And luckily I could go and go, I could call someone who understood and say, what is going on? She's like, yes, yeah, totally normal. I did it too. We all have gone through it. And so she could call it out, name it. And then I go, okay, I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. You know, do you want to come over? You can just come over and hang out. Like there were times I just couldn't be alone. I just didn't want to just be alone with my thoughts, my feelings. I just go sit on the couch while she worked and I do my stuff on my phone or I'd write my steps out, but just 
to have a place that was safe, you know, to just be. And, and, and as an older, I feel like whatever, I mean, I thought I knew it all right. Cause I'm an adult and whatever, but to have to be that vulnerable and ask for help in your forties, when you think you've known it all, it was, it was, yeah, it was definitely <laughs> not easy. And, um, but then not hard at all once, you know, you find the right sponsor, as I did, and you're in the right place and you're safe, you, you just, you can. It's not hard to just be vulnerable and feel your feelings and and get strong, man, and then help someone else. And that, that's the beautiful part of it is now I have three sponsees asking me. I'm like, what? But because I was guided and because I'm still guided, because I can say, hey, Anushka, uh, what do I do here? And she'll be like, okay, here's this, this, and this, you know? So it's just, a, it's just, it continues, you know what I mean? That's so amazing. That's and I, and I love the, uh, I can really hear, you know, that the happiness in your voice, which I'm sure wasn't yeah. there, you know, back when you oh. first met Anushka and is giving right. back really an, an important part for you and, and part of it's your everything. recovery, what, what it's helps everything. you? Yeah, it's it's the reason I'm allowed. I, I can be a rape victim or a person who was raped or a person who had you know a, a problem with alcohol and and who will have a problem with if if I'm not helping someone else. Like I I will always be a victim if I'm not helping someone else. The only reason I can make sense of anything that's happened in my life is so that I can help someone else. It, it gives me a purpose. Instead of it burying me and making me nothing, you know what I mean, and and keeping me right. small, now I'm able to help someone else get through because someone helped me. And so it's just a chain, and it's it's amazing that I, I can do this because I didn't know that I had the strength. I didn't know I had it in me. I may as well wow. have It was, you know, and then now it's like, holy cow. Because someone believed in me and loved me so much and had, had and someone helped them, they were able to help me and now I'm able to help someone else. That's amazing. That's and just it. the fact that you were able to be vulnerable and accept accept help. And I think that's a big thing. Right. You know, yeah, as as women, we're supposed to hold you know, hold right. the, the burden for everybody, you know, our, our parents, yeah. our, our kids, if we have kids, you know, partners, and then to be vulnerable and ask for help. It it takes a lot for people to get to that point sometimes. Yeah, it really does. And it takes a lot to, to find the the person that just speaks to you. And I swear it was bigger than me and bigger than Anushka. It just happened to us and we found each other. And it was like, oh, okay, this is it. This is what's supposed to be. And, you know, she's loving and amazing. And then also like, hey, do this. Don't, you know, quit your bitch and let's go. You know, it's not just hearts and flowers. It's like, come on, get out of your story. Let's go. And and we that's how we move forward, you know, we get out of our story. Exactly. So and the stories selfless. that we tell, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's and, amazing. And all, I mean, she told me from the beginning, I'll never, ever, ever let you go. Like, I got you. And and I promise you, I feel it and I know it. And and I could try to go and she wouldn't let me, you know, because we're crazy. I'll make it. I'll be like, what? You're not, what's wrong? And then she's like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. What's your problem? You know, but, but it sounds like it's evolved to where you have a real friendship, 
not only yeah. the sponsor, um, you know, sponsee, exactly. I guess, relationship. Yeah. yeah, she's not having to, it's, it's like a kid growing up, right? Like at first I needed a lot. I was just, I didn't know who I, I couldn't walk, right? And then I finally started to walk and then I could run. Now I can pass the baton, you know? So she told me too, she was like, you're ready. You're ready to pass the baton. You're, you're ready to take sponsees. And I was like, no, I'm too scared. She's like, you're ready. And just her telling me that, I went, oh, okay. And so I raised my hand to take sponsees and I got them. And then I was like, and you've oh, got three. Geez, you I'm said you have three now. I have three. <laughs> yeah. Right. I do. And it's, it's amazing and beautiful and it keeps me sober. And and I'm not alone in it because I have Anushka and Anushka has a sponsor and her sponsor has a sponsor. And that's just, that's how this works, you know? That's so interesting. So does the sponsorship, does that relationship between the sponsor and the sponsee, does that kind of just continue indefinitely or mm-hmm. I, I guess it's individual yeah. for each, for each person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Some people will have a sponsor forever, their whole life, but some people you know, that one sponsor moved away and they need another sponsor because geographically it changed or, or people just change and they say, okay, it's time for me to have this, a different type of sponsor. Maybe they needed someone a little harder, you know, but it doesn't right. mean they or a diff- different experience, and different experience. Yeah. So what does life right, look Anushka. like for you today? I mean, it, it sounds like you're, you're healthy, you're happy, you're kind of doing your thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, are I you working, are you working in recovery as a, a job now? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm a stand-up comedian, so I feel like that's helping. <laughs> I, that's I, I, great. I talk, about, <laughs> talk about my recovery, I do. Um, you know, and yeah, it, I, I'm able to be authentic and, and, put myself in front of people and talk like I couldn't before I was so small and so scared. And now I'm like available and open and, and, and just a different human being today. You know, life isn't perfect. It's never, you know, it's like I have ups and downs of course, but I'm nowhere where I was before. And, and I know what I'm capable of going through. So it's just made me stronger, you know? And do you feel strong being around other comedians and in that kind of environment where, I mean, you're in clubs and, you know, people are partying, they're drinking. I'm sure a lot of the other comedians are partying and drinking. But, but is I that okay? I'm so not triggered by any of that. And I watch, I watch people, uh, other comedians drink and see how they were way funnier when they weren't drunk on stage doing the, you know, and... And I worked in bars. In the beginning of my sobriety, I, I still had to serve people alcohol. And and I and it was a good thing for me because I got to see what I don't want to be anymore. You know, I got to see, like, wow, that's how much I was drinking. I, you didn't realize it because you were in it. And then you see it. And now I'm, I'm just, like, I could care less about I do not want to go back. I will not. And if I felt triggered, I know who to call, you know. Right. You have that support meeting. Exactly. Wow. Well, I hope I see you on TV or something on Netflix, (laughs) you know, soon I could say, Hey, I talked to her. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Well, it's been, it's just been so great, you know, to get your story, Monique, and also to hear from Lindsay and to hear from Anushka about the amazing work you're doing. We we have just a minute. See, I knew this would fly by. 
And I'm so glad I was able to get your message out there. So people can find out about Edinburgh House, go online. It's Edinburgh House Sober Living. And also the Kintsugi Foundation, people can donate and get involved. And that's the best place for people to get in touch, right? Just hit the websites. That's right. Yes. And thank you, Diane, so much for for being a wonderful host and addressing important issues. Monique is a fantastic example of of how this system works, which I'm not responsible for, but I'm really honored to take part in. So uh, for any more information, yeah, please look at our CityFoundation.org website. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.